From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia, this is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Ricker. Earlier this year, our friend Pat Loeb came on the podcast to tell us about the homeless encampments springing up under railroad tracks in Philly. I've never been homeless like this. I've never, you know. I scrap metal. That's how I survive. I've sold my body. I've, you know, I've done a lot of things that I'm not proud about. After being under here for a while and stuff, you know, I do want to get clean and I do want to get help. With how bad that my addiction is, I need to hit rock bottom. Part two of this series was about a pilot program the city developed in two of the tunnels. Well, if, Basically, if for some reason you don't want to go today, we'll be out here tomorrow. If they wanted it. And Prevention Point will be back out this evening. Anyone living there could get a bed and treatment to get sober, with one condition. You know that the city's going to come and move all the property and people out today. Yes, I do know that. There was a deadline. And you know, I'm, I mean, I'm fine with that. I have to be. I'm just, you know, going wherever my feet takes me, wherever the Lord takes me. As long as I keep him first, I know I'll be fine. So today on the podcast, part three of our series on the people in the tunnels. What does life look like now for someone who decided to say yes and get clean? So if somebody hears this and it helps them, then I'm doing my job. And is there really such a thing as a fresh start? Pat Loeb is a KOW News Radio reporter, City Hall Bureau Chief, and she also covers homelessness in the city and all the different moving parts of the opioid crisis. She's been with us for this entire series, back with us now in the studio. Pat, thanks for making some more time for the podcast. Always a pleasure, Tom. How did you meet Salvador Colon? I asked the city if there was someone that they could hook me up with who had accepted their offer of help to come in before the encampments closed, who could talk about what it was like. And Salvador agreed to do it. I'm Salvador Colon. Um, From what I understand, uh, I came here today to speak about my past life how things have been, uh, the transition into where I'm at now in my life and where I'm headed. He agreed to do it, he said, because he feels like it w- it made such a difference in his life. The reason I did this is because being a doer on the radio, I think that my purpose in life is to help as many people as I can. Getting into this shelter, it's a very low-barrier shelter, and it connects you with treatment. Um, that had been such a game changer for him that that he kind of felt like part of his purpose in life was to tell people that you can change your life, you can turn it around. I want to help as many people as I can. So if somebody hears this and it helps them, then I'm doing my job. You know what I mean? Salvador Colon is a guy who he's originally from I'm from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, but I've been here off and on for like 20 years. But he moved to Philadelphia a long time ago, 18 years ago. So this is my home. Got into a car accident uh, because of his drinking, he says. That was from drinking. The whole accident was caused from drinking. And um, it left me in a coma. It left me in a wheelchair for a year. And got straight. Um, Got sober. I stayed sober for five and a half years. And was doing okay. I refused to take any type of pain medication. And then... Once I relapsed and I realized how 
much worse. My leg has gotten... Fell off the wagon again. I decided to go to the doctors. I started taking Percocets. Painkillers for some residual pain that resulted from his car accident. My daily increase of Percocets skyrocketed within, like, weeks and... Quickly escalated the dosage that he was taking. Percocets caused me my tolerance to go really high, and I started using more and more and more. And then went to buying heroin on the streets because it was cheaper. cheaper to get street drugs and easier to get street drugs. Then prescription painkillers. And um, that's what I kept doing. I, won't, I wouldn't blame it on the accident because I know better, you know. But from there it took on them. Ended up, it's actually a very common story, he ended up homeless. Oh, eventually, yeah. At the, at the time I maintained it for as long as I possibly could. Slowly but surely, Actually, rapidly, I started losing material things, started losing relationships, started losing self, my, self, my self-esteem, and um, I lost the connection with God, and I completely let myself go. He wasn't necessarily a camper in the tunnels in Kensington, but he frequented them because he would go there to buy drugs. I was stuck. You know, it's like my soul was trapped out in the streets. I was on the streets because I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. Drugs is definitely a major part of it. Drugs and the thing, the, the lifestyle that comes behind drugs. I gave up just about my entire life for drugs, which left me homeless. I couldn't get out of it, not by myself. I needed help. And then one day... Opportunity came and... Ran into a friend of his from school, who he hadn't seen in a really long time, who was living in the tunnels and was one of the people that the city had targeted to come in so that they could uh, close the encampment on Kensington Avenue. That moment on Kensington Avenue, I wasn't able to walk because of my leg and because I was doing a lot of ripping and running on Kensington. I was on the street on Kensington, and he walked by and recognized me. I haven't seen him for almost 20 years, and he told me, you know, at ODAT, I can get you in. And normally, at any other time, I would say, no, I'm good. Something just, like, possessed me and said, yeah, please, let me go with you. Let's see what happens. After all this time being homeless, addicted to drugs, what happened where he was able to say, yeah, I I don't want to do this anymore. I want to get clean. Well, it's kind of a mystery. Alcoholics Anonymous causes your moment of grace. Um, He himself would like to know what it is. I think for everybody, it's an internal personal experience. It has to do with your willingness and how bad you want something. It's something that he had hoped would come over him many times in in the years that he was on the street. Um, And he says he just, it just never happened for him until he ran into his friend. His friend said, hey... I can, you know, the city's making beds available in the shelter. I can get you into the shelter. And he was at such a low point. He he had no money to get high. He was in tremendous pain that he just said, okay. There are people that have had enough and they're inside. Something tells them that their spirit is just really sick and needs help. He says it's kind of, the, you know, you got to catch people at that moment of desperation when they really feel like there are no other options. Those are the people that's going to actually do something with it. And I'm at that point. But what gets them to that point, it's it's just kind of mysterious because you would look at uh, the way a lot of the people are living in the tunnels and think, this has got to be rock bottom for, for many of them. And yet it's not. 
they continue to live on the streets so that they can get high. But for him, it, it was that moment of, of pain and desperation that that convinced him that he should, with you know, coupled with this opportunity being presented to him that got him inside. God's merciful, God's great, and all that opened the doors for me. And I started my whole process there again. And since then till now, I haven't been perfect, but it's been steadily growing, steadily increasingly good. Where did he end up? Uh, there's a shelter called One Day at a Time. They call it ODAT. ODAT is a men's shelter. It's extremely low barrier. Provides housing, you know, food. Basically, all you have to do is show up. If you decide to use it, it gives, it gives you a place to create a foundation for yourself. You don't have to agree to go into treatment. You can just avail yourself of a bed there. But if you're interested in treatment, they can connect you. And so he was able to get into AA. AA, NA. Uh, I see a therapist. He does group therapy. I help people. Uh, anytime I'm invited to do anything, I take the uh, you know I take the opportunity and I do it. You do have to leave in the morning and come back at night, and so he stays busy during the day. He'll take whatever opportunities people offer him. I stay busy because I'm not working full time. Some days I do get to do construction roofing work, um, but it's sporadic. He also reconnected with his family. He had been kind of estranged from his family. Yeah, um, I didn't speak to my parents for about three and a half years. Because of his drug use? Out of shame, guilt, things like that. He called them again, and he's in regular touch with his mother now. No, my parents are getting older. I didn't want to be one of those stories like, yeah, I didn't get a chance to speak to them because I was in the act of my addiction. I was like, I better get straightened up. I don't want to live with that guilt on top of the guilt I already have. So um, I called her the first time in over three years. And since then, we talk three, four times a week. Yeah, she's just like my best friend, a huge supporter in what I'm doing. She knows everything that I'm doing, my situation, uh, how I was on the streets, how I'm getting help now. And, you know, she supports me. When I was listening to your interview with Salvador, I guess I, I felt pretty encouraged you know, happy that this guy turned his life around. He worked really hard and things are, I thought, you know, things are going to go really well for him now. But that's not necessarily the reality. He doesn't just start with a clean slate. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's He's got kind of a long rap sheet going back to like the year 1998. Most of it is uh, possession, use of a controlled substance, possession with intent to distribute. It's a lot of drug charges. But in April, just before he ran into his friend on Kensington Avenue, in April, he was arrested for uh, retail theft and receiving stolen merchandise. So basically shoplifting. And so he still has to go to court and face those charges and face possible punishment. And because he had that pending case, he was not able to accept a job or, you know, in the end, finally land a job that he thought he'd been offered as a foreman for a roofing company. Uh, he was very excited about it, determined to work really hard and and thank them for the chance. But I guess the employer had rules about, you know, uh, criminal background, and um, so he didn't get the job after all. He's still looking. He hasn't given up. It it hasn't discouraged him. It hasn't made him change his mind at all about the 
good judgment that he showed in in going to ODAD. He's still there. He's still attending uh, all the therapy sessions and the the rehab treatment that he can, and he's still sober, but he's not employed, and he is you know, looking at a a trial coming up, which he fears that his long record, uh, you know, may produce a negative outcome for him. My background is horrible, um, and I'm willing to discuss any of it. And I have legal issues I have to square away and take care of because of being out in the streets and stuff like that. That's just part of it. And uh, there's things I got to, you know, wreckages of my past. I'm willing to, you know, if I have to go... To jail for my charges. Um, that's part of what I have to do. Um, but if the judge sees fit that what I'm doing is good and to continue on this path, so be it. Maybe the judge will have some leniency. Maybe he sees the change in me. I don't know. You spent a lot of time studying this and reporting on people like Salvador. What, what realistically is his best case scenario. Is there an employer out there that takes a chance on people like Salvador? There are, and it's becoming more common. Uh, There's been a real concerted effort to ban the box, and there are a lot of employers who have kind of signed up to take on ex-offenders. There are a bunch of programs that the city does in partnership with institutions like the Philadelphia Horticultural Society. They have a, a landscape training program and then there are employers who are waiting to take the graduates there's been a recognition that a lot of people are incarcerated for low-level drug offenses if they get sober the, the odds of them repeating that kind of drug offense going back to jail doing doing anything on the job that would uh you know compromise the safety or profitability of the employer is unlikely So there are options, more than there were before. It's certainly not easy. There are not as many employers as there are who will take you without a record. But but it is possible. There is reason to be hopeful. When you were talking to Salvador, you had someone else with you. Can you introduce her? Yes. The director of the Office of Homeless Services, Liz Hirsch... Uh, also came to my office the day uh, that Salvador did. She wanted to meet him. She hadn't met him before. And she was interested in listening to his story. When he was finished, she wanted to ask him a question herself, and that is... So my job is uh, to run the homeless system. Okay. Um, So you have any advice for me to how we could do a better job to help reach out to people on the street? Okay. Um, that kind of caught him by surprise. <laughs> he, he said he, he wished he'd known that was going to happen so he would have a better answer. I would have had something better prepared. But you have my card. We can okay, talk yeah. again. Well, the, I think this is what I always think to myself. But he did He did have some suggestions. There's, there's like a window period for an addict who's actively using. There's a window period that's best to catch them where they're going to be more receptive. That window period is really, really small. Right. And it comes with desperation. So when the person has money, when the person is in the 
when they got the wheels turning and they're getting using finding more ways to get more and they're in that they're not gonna hear a word you say they might not even stop to listen to you when they run out when they're tired when they have no more doors to go to when you know they have no alternative that's at the point where they're gonna be more willing to listen uh, to get help at that at that point now whether they're gonna stay with it a long long time that's on them but when you're in the streets and you're trying to get you know people's attention or trying to get them into impatient or something it's at that point I think is the best having services available when a drug user hits the point where they're willing to go into treatment so that is that is the approach that the city actually took to clear out the encampments it's it's a strategy called treatment on demand that is exactly what it does if somebody says if you catch the person at that moment and you say come with me right now we're going to go get you into shelter or into treatment that's the highest likelihood of success don't don't say well as soon as a bed opens up we'll come back for you or give us your number and we'll call you when there's a bet you have to be able to to do it at that moment kind of like an intervention which you know people with more resources do sometimes for for relatives and friends it happens at the moment that you can that that person can see that they need that treatment yeah. and and being steady if like when I knew that there's certain people was going to be out at certain corners on certain days at certain times and the days that they wouldn't show up I'd be dis- disappointed but if I knew that they were going to be out there and I can get help, or they, they, I heard there's a program that comes down to Somerset and Kensington on Mondays. Yeah, yeah they come down to, like, the art studio at the... at the, uh, oh, the, the porch They have outside organizations do outreach to bring people in. So if I needed to get help and I didn't have ID and I knew that they would be there and I wanted to go into inpatient, like, because they're uh, steady with it, they're consistent, that helps. So knowing where to go and having it available. available. So when that moment comes, you know where to go and get the help. Yeah, and most people don't have ID, driver's license on them. Usually right. they don't have anything, and that's what prevents a lot of us from getting the help. You don't need ID anymore now to get into treatment. I heard a lot of things are changing. Yeah, we changed a lot of things. Thank God. Yeah, trying to listen to people, yeah. do a better job. Cool. Cool. Thank you. If you think of anything else, give me a call anytime. Yeah, I'm sure I can get some ideas. That would be good. For me with some other people, too. Thank you very much, Salvatore. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you, thank thank you. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for the coffee. Thanks so much for coming in. Sure. Those two tunnels that you used to hang out in that were (laughs) were full of people. Yeah, they're they're empty. They have not been re-encamped. The other two tunnels, there were, there were four tunnels that were encamped. One of the other two has been lined with blue lights so that people can't shoot up there. You know, you can't find a vein if the light is blue on you. So one of the tunnels has blue lights. However, it is still fully encamped. Now, I will add that there are other, not quite encampments, but if you, you know, if you drive under 95 in Old City or if you walk through the convention center tunnels there are other people kind of camping out and some encampments have been back along the railroad tracks but because they're smaller and because the the intervention is faster um, 
they, they haven't turned into the kind of encampments that, that remain in those two tunnels in Kensington. Pat, where can people follow you online? I'm at Pat Loeb on Twitter, and I'm Pat Loeb on Facebook. Thanks again for coming back on Scroll Down. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, Tom. And that's it for this week's show. You can follow us on Twitter at ScrollDownPod. I'm at T-Rick, T-E-E-R-I-C-K. Please take a moment to help us out by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. It helps us keep making the show and it gets it to new listeners faster. I'm Tom Rickard. Thanks for listening to Scroll Down. I'll talk to you again next time. Hi, Steve McKayze here. And Andre Bennett. We're your hosts for Cinema Obscura. If you want to dive into the weird, wild, outrageous world of cult movies. The ones you probably never heard of. Check us out on Cinema Obscura, available wherever you get your podcast. That's a KYW News Radio podcast, just like the one you're listening to right now. Talk, talk to, to you soon. soon.